go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. The Green Dot, brought to you by GE Aviation. My name is Hal Bryan and I'm one of your hosts. I'm the senior editor for uh, print and digital content and publications here at EAA. And sitting over there, way across the table, Tom Sharpentier, government relations director. All right. And uh, joining us uh, over the uh, the internet via the magic of Skype is uh, Laura Lebon, who is the co-founder and lead developer of, uh, of an extremely popular, uh, I dare say, impressive and, uh, and successful uh, flight simulation for mobile devices, uh, Infinite Flight. So, Laura, welcome to the Green Dot. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. That's, uh, it's really good to have you here. Now, I guess... Uh, uh, maybe we'll get this out of the way right up front. So, to full disclosure, I have mentioned uh, once or twice on the show that I uh, I came to EA um, almost ten years ago now from Microsoft, and I spent uh, uh, eleven years at Microsoft uh, there working on flight simulation software. And th- that's when you and I would have first uh, crossed paths. And you were working on, I believe, if I remember right, you were calling it Infinite Flight even from the beginning. Am I or am I misremembering that? No, so at the beginning when we met, it was called uh, Flight Simulator Project, and then I switched it to Infinite Runway. Oh, that's right. Uh, right, and then uh, and then we had a meeting with a friend at some point. Was like nobody knows what the runway is. Some people think it's actually you know for modeling. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why we switched it to Infinite Flight. Yeah. Oh, excellent. And what what year was that, that you would have first started developing it and, and kind of gotten on our radar? Because I remember you plugging away on an open source project, and and right. I don't mind saying all of us uh, at you know at the at the giant company being really really impressed with what you were able to do at home as a sort of a at least initially kind of a one person operation. Yeah. So so this started in two thousand four, um, and I think I got in touch with. Um, I think his name, uh, Adam Zoffren. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. When I did my internship at NVIDIA, uh, in Santa Clara, I think the first week that I got there, uh, the game developer conference was happening in San Jose and, uh, all the team there at NVIDIA was just like, we're all going. So you may as well go. So I ended up being a GDC and Adam had done a talk about, uh, the, the architecture of planet rendering that you guys were using at the time. Right. And after the talk, I was like, hey, can I talk to you? And I think we already had kind of talked over email uh, a few times. Um, but yeah, this is sort of when uh, it, it all happened. And then I, I think at, around that time, I got added to the beta test uh, program for FSX. And, and for those uh, who are hardcore flight sim users out there, and we know there must be some of you, um, Adam Zoffrin was a developer of, of something that was originally FS6 IPC, FSU IPC. Oh, and he sure, was doing, yeah. yeah. Do you remember that, Tom? Yeah, yeah. And he was doing a lot of that work on his own, actually, before he came to work for us. And him coming to work for us was a huge, uh, a huge coup. So, so anyway, some, some, more, uh, some more interesting flight sim uh, trivia there. I have a feeling that this is uh, th- this episode is going to uh, go kind of pretty hard into the uh, flight sim nerd uh, end of the spectrum here, but that's if, just that's fine. Possible, yes. yeah. If there's anyone here who's ashamed of that, uh, you know, they can leave now because I'm sticking around. I know Tom is. Hey, on the last episode, Chris and I were uh, were just geeking out over um, the Air Force Museum stuff, so I think that's just what we do here. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, Laura, how did you get um, how did you get started in aviation uh, in in the beginning? Did you start in uh, simulation and in, in apps, or did you um, uh, you know, start from uh, the I, I suppose I don't know if it's derogatory to say real world of aviation or not. <laughs> no, you know, but. I actually started my. There's nobody in my family. There's no aviation gene in my family that I know of. Um, it was actually the, the earliest things that I remember was. Um, my brother back in like 1996 or maybe 97 around that time, he one time came home with a, um, uh, a copy, I think it was flight sim five one, um, and with the joystick and he barely played it. So it was the only one to have a computer fast enough to run it. Um, so I was always trying to ask him for permission to use his, his, uh, his desktop to play a flight sim and they had it had a big booklet so i learned about vor and stuff so i was probably like 14 15 years old at that time um yeah and that was this is basically how you know this piqued my interest i always loved like airplanes but never really got into simulation or you know, real aviation um and then how i got into real aviation um so i i think it was around like 97 and 97 i got my own computer so I installed, I think it was FS, um, I forgot which version it was, but around FS98. And um, I started making scenery uh, packages uh, for uh, for that version um, uh, of my area. And um, there was a, a guy that lived just south of my, my hometown that contacted me one day and he said, hey, you know, thanks for making this airport. And it was uh, Vienne-Reventin, it's an airport just south of Lyon. And they're like, thanks for making it. Um, would you love? Would you like to come with me uh, to fly in my in my club's 172? And so I think I was uh, 17 at the time, 16, 17 years old. And um, so I had to beg my parents to let me go because you know the the guy was actually super young. I think he was 18 years old, <laughs> and he was I think one of the youngest pilots in France at the time. So it was it was a you know I had some time convincing my parents, but they let me go and they they drove me there and. I did a quick flight with him, um, maybe like half an hour, and I was just hooked. I was like, this is what I got to do. Um, and so I kept making um, scenery packages, and then and one day a, a person contacted me to uh, work with them on uh, commercial packages, and that allowed me to get my license. Um, so I used that money to pay for my license. Uh, and then the first planes that I flew on, uh, did some uh, Cessna 152. I sold it on that, and then uh, Piper uh, 28. This is what I did my my entire um, uh, well, the rest of my training on uh, to, for my PPL, and then uh, I flew in DR 400, of course, in France. That's a very typical plane. Um, yeah, and then I moved to California in 2006. Um, then I've I've flown on the like beat up one, 152 out of Palo Alto. And then when I when I got some more money from my internship, I moved on to the Cessna 172 uh, G1000 that they had. Total nerd package, you know, super expensive per hour, but really fun to fly. Um, and then after that, so I I was a French pilot, not flying a lot because it was I was uh, just... Um, terminating my, I like, graduated for from my engineering school, and this was like about four years where I didn't really have much time to fly. And I, I met a friend who worked at Nvidia, uh, who was also French, and he was flying with an old Navy pilot out of Oakland, 
his name was Lou Fields. And um, so Bruno, this friend, told me, like, you got to fly with that guy because he's just, you know, he's going to hook you up with tail dragger flying. And this is, you know, how things are done. Um, so one day I went with him on an Aircast 7DC. And this is my, my second, like, discovery into, like, real aviation, stick and rudder skills. And I was like, this is much more fun than flying a 172. <laughs> um, it's like it's actual flying. So I never looked back, and I've flown tail draggers ever since. That's this excellent. My and, story in a nutshell, yeah. And uh, before we get back to sort of the history development of infinite flight, uh, you, so you had that seminal flight in that Aronka. Now, um, now, what are you flying these days? I think people would be interested to know. So I'm flying um, a Cetabria 7 GCAA that I bought with a friend uh, in 2014, uh, so five years ago. Um, and so I, this was in California at the time, and uh, now I'm in New York. So we, uh, two years ago, I, I ferried the plane to New York, uh, which was fun. Um, five days of non-autopilot uh, in, in, a, in a plane like that. It was fun. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually having the last few days with that plane. I'm going to sell it back to my friend in California and, um, I'm going to get a, uh, uh, cup crafters X cup, um, uh, in the next month. So that should be a lot more fun and more interesting to fly. That is, that is fantastic. Have you, you've been out to cup crafters and flown one of the demo airplanes? Yeah, I, I went to, so it was a year and a half ago, um, I've flown to uh, Saratoga Springs, where they have their local uh, rep here in New York. Oh, sure. Um, and I had seen the plane in Oshkosh. I've seen, I'd seen some of the videos that uh, um, Flight Shops, uh, Steve Thorne, had done on that. And I was like, this sounds like a fun plane. You know, it's it's faster. It's more powerful than mine. You know, it would be like the perfect um, combination of all the things that I need in a plane. Right. Um, so, yeah. So I got to fly the the demonstrator for a story for Sport Aviation a few years ago, and it was it was especially uh, a real privilege because it was right before they had announced it, and we were one of the you know EAA with the Sport Aviation magazine, one of the first ones to announce it. And I've got to say that was uh, um, to this day I think is still just about the most comfortable airplane I've ever flown, which seems like a silly thing to home in on, but but. Uh, um, Certainly in the in the cub world, that airplane is absolutely feels luxurious, you know, compared yeah. to so many. I'll, I'll always have a, a good soft spot for a nice old J3 or Super Cub or something. Right. But boy, the X Cub was um, really is sort of that refinement of that uh, that design, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, and it has you know the G3X, the autopilot, which are things that you don't don't think you could find in a plane like that. Right. So yeah. It's it's a, it should be a fun plane. Yeah, you're gonna have have nothing but fun with it, and uh, and Tom and I will be nothing but jealous, and it'll all work out. <laughs> well, you're welcome to come to New York. You know, <laughs> we can ride over Manhattan with the doors open. Oh man, that would be fun—the Hudson River corridor or something with the doors open. Yeah, like I've done, that. I've done yeah. not with the doors open, but I've done the Hudson corridor before. That's just a beautiful flight. Yeah, that's a, yeah. that's uh, a bucket list thing for me. So be careful with your regular. You know, take me up on that one. There's no problem. <laughs> I, I do the, the corridor uh, often. Uh, it's pretty fun, especially the uh, the less known um, East River transition over Central Park, which is just absolutely insane. Oh, wow. And the whole time you're like, why is this allowed? It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, well, we won't say that too loudly. We, yeah, uh, we. <laughs> the way we see it, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's definitely part of the the freedoms that we enjoy uh, uh, flying yeah. around here. So it's, definitely. Uh, um. So talk a little bit about Infinite Flight. Um, I, you know, just down to the basics. What is it, um, and uh, how do you find it, and uh, who can use it? Okay, so Infinite Flight is a flight simulator for mobile phones and tablets. Um, it's on the App Store. It's been on the store since 2012, so we're not a new app. We've been out there for, for some time. Um, and uh, we feature, I think it's about... 40 to 50 airplanes, different types. We have, you know, tail draggers. Uh, we have warbirds like the Spitfire, um, P-38. We have a lot of airliners because, of, you know, a significant amount of our users actually uh, love flying airliners. So we have the 380, the 330, 737, uh, 777, 767. You know, we have a lot, like a very varied fleet of aircraft that, that a lot of people can enjoy. Um, we also have fighter jets uh, like the F-22 with the thrust vectoring. Um, and, you know, in terms of scenery, we, we have the entire planet. Um, so you can fly from um, New York to Paris if you want to do that. Uh, it's going to take you the real amount of time. Um, and we have satellite imagery uh, in 15 meter per pixel. Uh, so it's not super great for low level, but it's good when you're above 5,000 feet, it starts to get good. Uh, so you can you can definitely do some VFR flying, um, and uh, we have uh, a multiplayer system. So that's that's one of our uh, core features now, where people can. It's a subscription model for the the entire world and all the planes. There's some that are free and some that are included in the subscription. Uh, when you have the subscription, you can fly in multiplayer, and we routinely routinely have between a thousand to two thousand people playing at all time on the server. Um, and you can also be an air traffic controller. Uh, so different, depending on the server you go to, the service is going to be more or less professional. But on the expert one, we have a team of people that are training uh, controllers to, to provide good service. Um, so you, let's say you, you want to do a flight from um, New York to Paris. Uh, if, this, if the services are available in, in New York, you're going to talk to ground and tower, then departure. And they're going to you know, let you go. And then when you arrive in Paris, if there's services, you're going to talk to approach. You can ask you know, for vectors to for an ILS, a GPS approach, that type of stuff. And uh, so it's we're trying to stay close to the real world procedures um, by simplifying some some of the concepts for mobile phones. But usually like people find it pretty fun uh, and we've had consistent um user engagement um, in, in the simulator. So it's been, it's been pretty fun. And, and one thing like the, usually when we talk about that, people assume that mobile games are a little subpar compared to PC. Um, we've actually done uh, a good work. You know, I'm proud of the, what the team has done regarding the, the, the rendering of the, the, the world. It looks, you know, we have airlines actually retweet some of our stuff because they think it's real pictures. So it's a testament to what is possible today on, on, on mobile phones and tablets. And it's control, the way you control the, the, the yoke is by rotating your device. Like the same way you could control a yoke on the Cessna 170 toe is very similar. We use the accelerometer um, and it feels a little weird at first, but you get used to it really quick. Yeah, see, I, th I thought the control system was extremely intuitive and uh, 
so I thought that was that was fantastic. I'm also um, I'm blown away by your frame rates, and you know, of course, ended my career at Microsoft on FSX and the expansion pack and things like that at a uh, in you know a, a product in about 2008 that was really meant for the computers of about 2015 or so. Um, so we were always struggling with with frame rates and other performance issues, but um, uh, Infinite Flight on on current generation iPhone or my iPad Mini is just as absolutely fluid as can be. Um, are you? Can you right. share? Do you have a, a, a the frame rate locked at a certain uh, certain number? Are you? Can you share that? Would you share that? Or any secrets? Yeah, so there's not really any secret. I think the 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 main reason why it's that way is because we started you know, um, seven years ago. Even more, like more, like older than that, on Windows Phone back in 2010, 11, um, and the devices were really, really low performance. So we didn't really have a choice. We had to optimize everything. Um, we can't just tell people get a new phone or upgrade your video card. There's no <laughs> options. Right? So like like we used to do all the time. Right. Yeah, so you tell you know, let's go buy a new new video card. It's we don't care. <laughs> right. Um, so for us, it's a little more difficult. So it's always been anchored in our mind that we. Whenever we design something, um, we have to be cautious um, but with memory management, with just like the way we handle things to make sure that it's always, um, always, uh, it always works on on lower end devices, and that's a that's a struggle. You know, it, it's there's a lot of time that we spend um, making things work on older devices because we want to try to maintain that backwards compatibility, um, but it's sometimes it's it's just it's it's daunting uh, because we find something that works well on iPad Pro, but then you know we try on a Galaxy S6, and it doesn't work at all. So we have to find ways to either make it work or find hacks to make it faster. And sometimes we run into driver bugs, and that's that's a whole other world of problems. If you have driver bugs on Android, where the operators won't update the phone or the, just the manufacturer doesn't care. Um, so yeah, there's there's quite a, a few features that we've worked on that we had to just let go because they were not working on on the Galaxy phones. Um, so that's that's sometimes frustrating. But yeah, it's it's part of this. It's the fact that we've been constrained since the beginning that that makes it you know this way. You know that that I hadn't thought of it this way before, but it really is analogous to um, you know sort of the state of PC gaming. Uh, and, and simulation 10, 15 years ago, in the sense that you've got uh, you've got the the Mac world, the Apple world, uh, which is a you know a famously closed ecosystem of uh, certainly from the largely from the hardware side, things like that, and on the PC side, uh, it was it was and, and to some degree still is completely wild west. And I, I you're you're dealing with those same struggles with the Android world where. Uh, you know, it's the blessing and the curse of having it uh, being, you know, much more open architecture and everything than what uh, what Apple allows. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I was pl I was um, playing with Infinite Flight um, earlier, and it, it really kind of drove home for me that you know we always joke about we always joke with our with our astronaut friends here on the podcast, which is awesome that we can say that. Yes. Uh, that say it again, Tom. Astronaut <laughs> friends. <laughs> that the uh, that you know that that your uh, your your phone has more power than the Apollo guidance computer, which is of course true. But I think I'm pretty sure my phone has more power than the computer, my desktop from 2003. 
I mean, the the graphics yeah. and the frame rates and and the uh, you know and 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 what we can do now um, with uh, you know pretty advanced graphics on a mobile platform is is really shocking. Uh, and and I I don't do a lot of high graphics um, uh, you know apps on my phone that often, so this really kind of drove it home for me. Yeah, and even even today, if you look at the latest um, iPad Pro. Um, we're locked at 60 frames per second because that's what the screen can do. I mean, it can go 120, but the current things we're using can't go higher than 60. And anything we throw at it, it's just fine. Um, on, we have more problems on Android phones because they have a tendency to, to lower their frequency when they get too warm, uh, which Apple does, but not as much. Um, but on the iPad Pro, it's, just, it's smooth as on my PC. It's, it's just insane, the power that they have. It really is amazing. So you mentioned on the iPad Pro, you lock at 60 frames. Do you uh, do you lock at a lower rate on a, a lesser powered device? Do you do some sort of detection to figure out what can this device really handle? And then we'll set the frame rate there. So we actually lower by default at 30. Okay. Um, because it's, it's tough to explain to people that are not in that domain, but because they want to have it smoother. It, it looks much smoother at 60. Uh, and people think it's fine, but the problem is that you know if you run at 60 and you barely run at 60, your your device has no time to to cool down, right? Because it's constantly active, and then it it compounds the heat, and then at some point the device is just like I'm too hot, I'm just going to throttle down. So you're going to drop down to 30 frames per second anyway, and then you may even go even more down than that because it can never pick up. So it's better usually to stay lower at 30 to have your, your device. Um, just be fine and and run lower at the lower um, frame rate and lower temperature, and then you it's just running smooth. And also the battery it helps with the battery. Right. So we have we, we have different graphics settings. One that's um, essential is is uh, the size of the uh, the tar like the render target that we use. So basically the buffer that we render to. Um, you know those screens that they have now are just insanely high definition. So. Sometimes you're going to render things that are smaller than what your eye can see. So we try to have ways to reduce that that um, buffer in the back. So we use we render in less pixels. And usually that makes a big difference. So you yeah. know, I, I we could really get sort of uber nerdy and and kind of rattle on frame rate stuff. And I don't want to do that, although I do want to do that. Um, but uh, you know, you talk about frame rates and things. That's always a big thing in the flight sim world and stuff. And something. You know, we always tried to remind people back in my old life was, you know, when you, for the most part, at least back then, it's it's a bit different now with digital projection. But when you went to a when you went to a movie, you're watching something at 24 frames a second, and nobody was complaining that uh, you know this movie is jerky or too slow. You're watching TV at 30 frames a second, and uh, and when you talk about something at 60 and then bouncing down to 30, the biggest thing in in anything like this is consistency anyway. Um, I used to lock flight sim X at even like 20 frames a second because I would rather have 20 frames with lots of detail and, and be guaranteed that the frame rate was not going to fluctuate rather than amp it up and sometimes get 35 and sometimes get 28 or something like that. So Right. Now there's there's technically the main difference and the reason why you don't see the movies is because there's, some, there's motion blur, sure. which PCs don't do well. If you don't actually code for motion blur, it's not going to show. Um, so it's something that we definitely want to look into at some point, having lower than 30, maybe 20, 25, and using motion blur, um, because it makes a lot of difference. 
That's really, really interesting. So, so getting back to the development of it just a, a little bit quickly here, what was the driving force? And maybe it's, maybe it's just obvious and self-evident, but what was the driving force to sort of switch from, a, from the PC platform to a, a mobile, a mobile app? So this story, like back in 2010-ish, um, I think you were, you were no longer at Microsoft. Um, we had started working on, um, uh, with Philippe, um, based on my previous project, just we had taken just the, um, the, um, uh, the flight physics part. This is the only thing that, had, that I had ported from that flight simulator project. Um, and we wanted to initially release on PC, um, and we kind of backed down at some point because um, I think it was kind of always linked to Microsoft. They had sent us a demo unit for Windows Phone. So this was back in 2010, I think. Um, and Windows Phone was coming out sometime later this year or the year after that. So we had a demo unit and we figured like, you know, it's in C Sharp, so it runs on that device as well. We may as well just go on mobile and not be compared to bigger players in the market today um, and be the first ones on that platform. Well, Microsoft Windows Phone didn't work so well, so this was not a success, but it was a good way for us to get into that app development process. Um, so we we decided to go to um, to iOS after that. But the main reason was at the beginning not to be compared to the PC Sims because we you know, you've been in that business. It's really hard to get to the level of, of what Explain does, for example. If you start from scratch, there is a lot of companies that have tried and have, have failed because they try to raise too much money. They have too too much like much bigger team that they, teams that they should have, and they eventually crash and burn. So you really have to be lean and mean and iterate on on the process. Otherwise, it's just you run out of money. So this is basically why we did it that way. It was easier to go on mobile phones. Hmm. That, that's yeah, it's interesting. I um, I, I'm I'm curious as to what the typical mobile flight simmer looks like. Um, are are there you know we we there's there's a very as you very very well know there's a very vibrant user community in uh, in PC simming you know between uh, FSX uh, prepared now and uh, and X plane. Um, are there are there user communities kind of sprouting up around Infinite Flight? Um, so it's it's we have a complicated relationship. Like there's, I think the initial view that people had, and I've seen that a lot when I went to Oshkosh and different shows. Um, when I introduced myself to people and said that I work on a mobile flight sim, I've seen the dismissal. They're like all right, so it's like you know arcade game on mobile phone, and I had to show them like no no no, you can actually have a serious seeming experience on a phone um, just looks so like we had to put them put their eyes on the phone before they had a chance to to leave um, and they changed their mind so there's a big stigma associated with with phone games in general that we have to fight against um, but we're slowly getting there there's a lot of people that used to be you know pc simmers that that now see the value of having um, just a pocket version of what they have on their pc for different scenarios we're not really competing with them. It's just a complementary usage um, for your simulation needs. So when you're not at home, when you're in, you know, commuting, or even when you're at home and you're in your couch and you don't want to go up to your office or your bedroom and fire up your computer, 
So it's a different different approach. So we're still getting some you know negative comments and um, but I think you know people will get around that and and you know I think we're not we're we're not here for the for the the quick buck. We're we're here for the long time. So we don't plan on letting go. <laughs> But you mentioned that yes, you occasionally get some negative comments, but you also got a very nice review maybe two years ago in the, which of course can be a long time in software, but two years ago in the New York Times, if I remember right. Yeah, it was, um, yeah. And that's uh, yeah. So, something like that's got to feel pretty good. Um, yeah, it does. Yeah. So we, we've actually had Buzz Aldrin actually played Infinite Flight, believe it or not. Oh, that's fantastic. He uh, mentioned it on Twitter one time. And I, I know you mentioned Twitter. I, you guys have uh, are doing really, really well on social media. And I know uh, uh, some of your multiplayer sessions. I, it's up to you whether you'd be comfortable sharing any specific numbers. But I, you know, I, I know you've had some really, really large numbers of people, you know, getting on at once and flying together and things like that. And uh, and by all accounts, your customer base seems to be really, really strong. Yeah, we have we have a significant amount of people playing. It's uh... It's it's something that you know we're really proud of because uh, it's, it's um, it was kind of like a, a long term goal like a dream like we wish one day we'll see this map with all these planes flying and regularly now this is what's happening there's you know thousands of people playing uh, at any given point in the day uh, people you know doing short flights people doing virtual airline flights there's uh, doing people a lot of people going transatlantic transpacific. Uh, you know, there's every day we have different um, areas that are activated by our, we call Infinite Flight ATC crew. So they activate different regions, they have different procedures. And every Friday we have a big event uh, in a new region. So this next Friday is going to be in Birmingham. Um, so we have, sometimes we, ha we have to have notams for some procedures because there's, we expect so many people that we have to split frequencies. like. At the beginning, we had multiple frequencies, but we, we cut it out. Uh, but at some point, I saw the controller were just like, it's too many people. I can't you know, deal with it. So I was just like, why don't we re-enable multiple frequencies? And then on the latest frequency, you can say when coming from the north, contact you know, north approach on this frequency and from the south, this other frequency. And this works pretty well. Gosh, a online community is so large it requires its own bureaucracy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, have to, I have to start branching off in my job. <laughs> it, it's crazy. You'd be amazed. Sometimes I go on there. They have a, a Slack channel, like a big uh, a chat system for the, the controllers. And just I love watching them uh, organize all the traffic, saying, oh, this Air France, you know, send him on to it right. I have too many people on to it left. And it's just it's just. It's just amazing how how this this all works. So one of uh, one of the things that I have uh, come to really appreciate about uh, about Infinite Flight, as you said, is you know having a flight sim in my pocket all the time is pretty remarkable. And uh, uh, a feature I actually only recently discovered is to be able to hop in and then just immediately put the airplane on short final, and just I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna take maybe 90 seconds and just do a quick landing. Um, so what about, uh, what about you? What's your favorite, uh, either favorite aircraft to fly uh, in the sim or, or do you have a favorite thing that you like to do personally? Um, when you're not I, writing code, of course. There's different, there's different types that I like. There's not one, just one thing that I prefer the most. Um, I like doing long hauls overnight. 
So setting up a flight, trying to figure out which speed works best with the winds because we have like live weather, uh, live winds. Um, oh, so you're getting uh, real world weather from right from uh, not clouds yet soon, okay. uh, but you know, at some point in the future. Um, but yeah, we have uh, we have live wind at least. So if you usually take the flight that's for that day, um, for the flight pass or the real plane for that day, you usually have the most optimized one. So yeah, so that's those type of flights, and also like shorter ones in planes like the X Cub or the you know the 172 or the TBM. It really depends uh, on the mood. Um, but yeah, for me, like the landings are are usually the most fun part. That's really uh, the thing that I enjoy the most in flying. <laughs> yeah, I like um, uh, when I play uh, when I when I sim. I I usually do VFR flying. That's that's definitely my favorite. Although Tom is no stranger to the virtual airline world, that's or true. The uh, the uh, the FS economy uh, economy world. That's so. right. I've been on uh, FS economy, the plugin for flight simulator uh, for uh, yeah flight simulator prepared and X plane for uh, almost fifteen years now. Uh, come check out Driftless Charters. We have FBOs all over the Midwest <laughs> and the Yukon Peninsula in Alaska. Driftless Charters, a new sponsor for the Green Dot. <laughs> We could talk about that, Hal. Yes, I, <laughs> I could yeah. pay you in virtual money. I was going to say yes, and I will, <laughs> and we will respond with virtual value. I promise you that. Getting serious for a second, though, I, I you know, I, I, I oftentimes said I do credit um, my simming experience, you know, all throughout childhood and, of course, into adulthood now, for um, uh, my own development in uh, in real world flying. I mean, uh, I, I was able to finish my private in pretty close to the FAA minimum, about forty eight hours. Um, despite the fact that my training was spaced out over more than a year, um, which I, th- I really credit to being able to stay sharp on, on the sim and, and kind of knowing, already knowing a lot of the radio procedures thanks to Hal's voice in the flight simulator and stuff like that. Um, how, how do you see, uh, how, how is Infinite Flight helping with training and uh, how do you see it uh, further integrating in the future? So this is something that we're trying to get um, closer to. Um, uh, the the actual like feeling of flying I think is pretty good. What we have like the the, the flight physics are really close to the actual numbers uh, in, in the most recent planes that we've shipped. Um, so that's I think that keeps people's um, skills sharp. And it's I've been personally uh, testing. I can personally test that because I've sometimes been away you know, out of the country for multiple months at a time that I and I couldn't fly. And I've been, uh, when I came back, usually I booked a flight with an instructor in a Cetabria just to get, you know, just to be on the safe side. Um, and I've, I've heard comments from the instructor saying like, you know, after six months of not flying, um, nailing a, a wheel landing on the first try, is just, you know, your brain must have been kept, kept activated. And I think it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Um, you know, it's, you're, you're, your brain is still in that mode. It's, you're not completely disconnected. So I think it makes a difference. Um, and and for the for the, the actual training for the instruments and, and all that type of stuff, more procedures, we're we're working on something like that. We want to be able to have um, not full starter procedures, but at least on on small piston aircraft having an actual procedure uh, for starting the plane, uh, and also for navigation being being able to tune VORs. Like we have ways to to auto auto tune ILS approaches for now. But we'd like to um, have more real-world navigations like VOR and and practicing all this on on, on the screens on the on the iPad. 
You know, you said something really interesting there about sort of keeping your brain engaged, and that's something that I have found over the years, uh, um, either either working with Sims or just uh, just just using them for my own edification. Uh, and that, you know, we would certainly run into people who would uh, who would sit down in front of a PC-based sim or computer sim of some kind, move the joystick around, and say, "Well, my 172 has a yoke. This is useless for me." And I, I imagine you must get. You know, some of that similar resistance would say, well, I got to turn my phone around. That's not how I fly an airplane. But in my experience, and I'd be curious if you agree, Laura, uh, it's not, for the most part, it's not our muscle memory that that uh, that needs to stay sharp. It's not the physical action of moving a yoke this way or that. It is uh, it is our brains. It's the it's the thinking. It's putting ourselves just in the headspace of flying and um, and the the mechanism of control input if you're if you're approaching it properly again in my opinion i think is is uh not necessarily irrelevant but is a is a very very low priority in terms compared to what you get from thinking through just the whole the whole process and the whole world of flight exactly i think you're right it's you know in in my experience i've sometimes when i was in palo alto i was alternating between you know, the Pipers, the 172s, and the Citabrias whenever there was something available. And I've never felt that there was a problem switching from yoke to, to a stick. It doesn't really make it much of a difference. Um, it's just it's just the feeling. I think if the flight model um, is correct, um, then you still get that feeling like if you want to, uh, if, you, if you're turning too sharp from base to final, bad things are going to happen. And if, if, you, if you have that same visual on the screen that you would you know, experience in real life, then you kind of get the idea of what you should do and how not to get into that position. Um, so yeah, I think it, it makes a difference to, to keep yourself sharp. Yeah, no, it definitely, it definitely does. I, like I've said, I, I think um, the, a lot of the actual physical flying of the airplane, that really came from um, actually flying the airplane, but a lot of the procedures um, that was that was really what I got out of out of simming. Um, so you've talked a little bit about uh, some of the some of the plans you have for the future with uh, with the app. Um, do you want to d- discuss anything more in detail? Anything you can talk about for uh, for what the future holds for Infinite Flight? Well, you know the 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 best way that I can describe some of the the things that we're going to do in the future is um, there's a delta between rea- reality and what we can do. Um, we're trying to reduce that delta. Um, to basically have it as real as possible. Um, and then there's often um, people are asking us, like, when will you have clouds? When will you have this and that? Um, we usually are working on these things in the background, and if they're not done, it means that they're either hard to do or we just haven't gotten around to doing it. Um, and, and especially there's some of the stuff on, on mobile phones that are much harder to do compared to a, a PC platform. Um, so there, there are definitely, you know, I'm thinking of clouds is something that we want to do, adding buildings, adding autogen scenery. So we have um, trees um, and more like types of 3D objects in the simulator in general. That's something that we, we want to work on in the future. Um, and, and I can't really share too much because this our community is really, really um, passionate. Um, so we've had uh, trauma from... Uh, past experiences where we said something is coming soon and then for some reason um, something happened um, and then we got stuck 
because of a technical issue that made the feature we announced, or we just said we may have not happen. Uh, one, one typical one was the, I mean, the most famous one was the, uh, the landing smoke. We had posted at some point, I think maybe like four years ago, a picture of landing smoke. And, and uh, the person who was working on it, you know, almost had it, you know, finished. And, we, and then we ran into visual issues in some phones and realized that to fix those issues, um, we had to redesign a significant chunk of the SIM. And that was just, every time we wanted to do that, there was, I mean, the discussions, you know, it's, it goes down to some technical levels where it's usually between Philippe and, 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 uh, and Kevin. And I'm like, okay, you guys, you know what? I'm more on the simming aviation side. I'll just let you deal with shader precision on Android phones and driver versions. <laughs> you tell me when it's done and <laughs> when we have the smoke. Um, so let's just say we don't have smoke yet. <laughs> Because it's it's still it's still an issue. Well, and it's <clears throat> it, it's rewarding, uh, even though, as you said, sometimes you have to be cautious. But it's so rewarding to be working with uh, you know around a product that does have such a such a passionate a passionate following. I, I know yeah. back again in the old Microsoft days, uh, Flight Simulator 2000. If I remember, if I remember right, it was 2000 released uh, without shadows. Um, because we were having oh, yeah. so many issues with performance in general. And the, at that time, like, not to get too techy nerdy, but basically what was happening was that to make a shadow of an airplane on the ground, our graphics system was drawing the airplane in its entirety twice. The nice 3D model with the textures and all the polygons and stuff that you see. And then the same thing, but just squished flat and rendered, you know, rendered with, with no color and a really high opacity on the ground. And that was just completely killing performance and frame rates and made the whole thing super sluggish. And and I remember being in the room, one of the program managers said, well, just turn off shadows and it runs great and nobody will care. And those were, those were famous oh. last words, <laughs> famous last words. And, you know, mercifully we were able to patch it and things like that. But anyway, um, there's, yeah, we have discussions like this sometimes when, um, you know, Philippe is more on the, he plays sometimes, but he's more into the higher level um and you know there's there's a few times where one of the one in the team is gonna be like yeah who cares i'm like i don't know i'm I'm gonna say i told you so and then we ship something it's like all right can i say i told you (laughs) somebody always uh, always cares and yeah you know but there's there are so many businesses out there that would absolutely love to have that problem yeah yeah it's and it's sometimes there's um i think we have philippe and i we have a good balance between um being uh, perfectionists and sometimes what we call being street dev, <laughs> like street developer. This is our hashtag whenever it's like, you know, we, like we need a street dev here to figure out a way to hack this. And, and the shadows in Infinite Flight are typical street dev kind of thing uh, because we actually don't project the plane on the, on the ground because we started that initially, you know, on devices from 2011. So we just have a rendering of the plane that we put in in, in, in um, Photoshop and then we blur it and we project it on the ground. So it's just a quad. It looks nice. It doesn't work with low, um, when the sun is low, but it's good enough to give you this sense of altitude. Sure. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, street dev, I really, uh, I really like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, we had terms like that. We had rogue art sometimes, <laughs> artists <laughs> sneaking things in and all kinds of things. But uh, 
but anyway, um, fascinating stuff. And as I said, you know, we could uh, we could boy nerd out, nerd out about this uh, another several hours. But I'm looking at the clock, and it looks like we are actually just about at the end of this episode. So, uh, so uh, Laura, very quickly before we go, I, I I can't recall for sure. Will we see you at uh, Oshkosh this year? Absolutely. Well, actually, you will have um, a booth uh, in Hangar C. So that's the Epic Aircraft Hangar. Booth number is 3027. Um, so that's our first time we'll be at Oshkosh. I've been dying to go. <laughs> uh, so we're super excited. You know, we'll have, we have a lot of people from the community who are coming. Um, so hopefully we'll have some meetups and, you know, we'll have some goodies to show and and to give out to people and uh obviously you know, hopefully a lot of people come in and, and see what what uh, mobile flight simulation is about uh, that's excellent well we're we're glad to be uh glad to be hosting you looking forward personally to uh to see you in the booth and seeing you and saying hello absolutely can't wait all right. Well, Laura, thank you uh, once again. And thanks, as always, to everybody out there listening. Thanks especially to those people who take some time to leave us a review on iTunes or over Google Play, Stitcher. Uh, I understand we're now officially on Spotify, which is uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, and uh, if you're at home and your Amazon Echo is just sitting there not doing anything else, uh, try Alexa, play the green dot. And I'm about 90% sure that works. It might have actually just triggered a couple of echoes uh, for people listening. Exactly. So, Alexa, uh, reorder batteries. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so, anyway, thanks for the reviews. Thanks for the feedback you send us at feedback at EAA.org and that you leave on the blog postings, inspire.ea.org, uh, where these episodes go live. So, keep that up. Uh, keep it coming. And with that, we look forward to talking to you next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot. <laughs>